Hello and welcome to Small Publishing in a Big Universe. I am your host, Lisa Jacob. We would first like to give a big thank you to all of our listeners. We've gotten to 1,000 unique downloads. Thanks, everyone. And remember, if you have an idea for topics for our podcast, go to our Contact Us page at spbu-podcast.com. We're looking for agents, small publishers, self-publishers, and editors to interview. So drop us a line if you're interested. This month, we have editor Ira Naiman. We talk about editing and what editors expect from authors. Coming from Water Dragon Publishing this month is The Ceres Illusion by Susan Eaton and the Future So Bright Anniversary. At the truck stop this month, Better Angels Tour de Force by Stephen D. Brewer. Take a look at our marketplace this month, spbu-marketplace.com, to see some of the products and services featured here on the podcast. The Ceres Illusion by Sue Eaton Something is definitely rotten in the experimental settlement on Ceres. Jax wonders how it will affect her and her colleagues when along comes Nan and shows her a side to the complex she did not expect. Together, the two young women work to break the control of the aliens have over the human settlers and begin to form the foundations of a fair community. Available in trade paperback and hardcover at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Bookshop, digital editions are available on Kindle, Kobo, Apple Books, Nook, Smashwords, and Google Play. Download a sample at waterdragonpublishing.com. Welcome to Small Publishing in a Big Universe. I am your host, L.A. Jacob, and I have with us Ira Naiman. He is an author and an editor of a whole series of anthologies, and he is also an author of a story that is in Water Dragon Publishing's Dragon Gems Fall issue. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. First of all, let's put your editor hat on. So we're going to ask you first some questions about you're an editor. Why are you so mean, which we mean to say, why do you think writers have an adversarial relationship? I do not believe that editors and authors should have an adversarial relationship. I think that the ideal relationship between the editor and the author is one of collaboration. And I think the reason for that should be obvious if you think about it. The editor and the author want exactly the same thing. They want to publish the best version of a story that they can possibly get. Now, sometimes, okay, fair enough, the editor and the author might disagree on what will make a story better. That happens. But I find that with mutual respect and a little compromise, those things can be worked out reasonably well. I have to say that as both an editor and a writer, with maybe one or two exceptions, all of my experiences have been very, very positive. And that's, I think, the way it should be. I think what I was thinking when I mentioned that, I was thinking that there are some writers, particularly new writers, but occasionally you get the really big name famous writers who think that every word they write is golden and nothing can possibly be changed to make a story better. And that's not true. 
I was the editor uh, for three years of Amazing Stories magazine. And one of the joys of that was that I got to work with some really well-known, really established writers. And all of them understood that even at their level, the first draft is not the best draft. There are always things that can be improved about a story. And in working with me, I hope most of them came to respect that I know my way around a story and I can actually help them to make things better. That was kind of what was rattling around in my brain when I talked about that. The second question is, how do you usually approach a manuscript? What do you look for first? The idea that I am looking for two qualities, surprise and delight. And surprise and delight are kind of my watchwords as a writer, so I kind of carried them over into my editing duties. What do I mean by surprise and delight? Well, the first thing is, I want to read something that I haven't read before. I want to be surprised. I want you to take me into a new place, show me something new about human behavior, just something that isn't the same old, same old. And delight. Delight, surprise, usually works at the level of story. So I want something new in the story. Delight is the way the story is told. I want to hear an original voice. I want you to use language in a new way. I want you to tell your story in a way that's really fun to read. Now, my background, of course, as a humor writer, I put a lot of store on fun. I don't want big slogs. So, for instance, if you're the kind of writer who writes hard science fiction with a lot of info dumps, maybe that's not for me. Maybe you should be looking at a different market. And let me tell you, I know Rob Sawyer. And somebody asked Rob Sawyer once, why do you spend so much time writing about the technologies, basically info dumping in his novels? And he said, and I can't fault him for this. My readers expect it. He's writing to his audience. So I know that there is an audience for that. It's just not me. When I was doing the slush pile, if they didn't format the thing correctly, I tossed it. Is that a valid reason to say, no, we're not accepting this? Yes. And I'll tell okay. you why. Because at Amazing Stories, in the almost three years that I was there, we had something like 4,000 submissions. Now, of those 4,000 submissions, there may have been three or 400 stories that were top-notch, A-rated. I would have been happy to publish all of them. In the seven issues that I published, we maybe got a hundred. So now I'm having to reject stories that under other circumstances, I would have been happy to accept. What criterion do I use? Well, it comes down to the fine details. And the fine details are, A, did you read and follow the guidelines? Whenever I'm at a con, whenever I'm on an editing panel, whenever I'm talking to writers generally about writing, read the guidelines is something, read and follow the guidelines is something I always, always stress. And part of the reason is because if I have a choice between a story that clearly fits in with what I want and a story that is very well written but doesn't fit in with what I want, I'm going to go with the one that has exactly what I asked for. It's those fine distinctions that make the difference. Now, I also tell writers a lot of things like don't take it personally, because even a fantastic story, if it isn't exactly what I've asked for, it could get rejected. It's not a, an issue of the quality of the story. Because here's the thing, we're going to have to work together, me and the writer. And if the writer hasn't listened to me when I asked for something specific, I'm not sure the writer is going to listen to me when I start suggesting edits. 
I need to know that this is somebody I can work with. And if I haven't worked with you before and you don't give me what I've asked for, I'm not sure I will be able to work with you. So I'll go with the person either I've worked with before or the person who has shown me that they listen. What can authors do to make your job easier? So I've already talked about the guidelines. Guidelines, guidelines, guidelines. I can't repeat that enough. But there is actually something else I was thinking about this. And one of the things that doesn't happen that often, but happens often enough that I think it's kind of weird, is make sure your manuscript is consistent. What do I mean by that? So I've looked through stories where there have been literally six or eight different kinds of dashes within a single story. Sometimes the format will be the end letter of one word and a single dash and the beginning letter of another word, or it'll be a double dash, or there'll be a space after the dash, or there'll be uh, spaces before and after the dash. And this signals to me that you're not serious. Those are things, I don't care which version you use. If you don't use the version that I use, I can just find and replace it very quickly. If you've got half a dozen different versions of that, or a half a dozen different spellings of important words or whatever, what you're showing me is that you're not willing to do the work of making sure that the manuscript is up to speed to actually send out to professional venues. And again, that's one of those, it's a small detail, but it's the kind of small detail that will make the difference between a sale or not a sale. So you really have to make sure that your manuscript is as polished and finished as it can be before you start sending it out. Great advice, yes. If you could fix the English language, what would you change? I'm a bit of a typography nut. There was a time when I was at university and I was contributing to my student newspaper. I remember just sitting in the office late one night, going through a book of type styles. This was before we had the internet where I could look at them. And I love, love, love type. And I use it a lot in my writing, different type styles. I'll give you an example. In my second novel, You Can't Kill the Multiverse, but you can mess with its head. There are at least 12 different fonts that I use. And in one chapter in particular, there is a character. The character is an artificial intelligence that's made up of different small modules that compete to determine how the the artificial intelligence overall is going to behave. And each one has a personality. And I set myself up a problem. So how do I name the different personalities when they speak? They're all one creature, so I didn't want to give them different names because that would make you think that they're different creatures. And I didn't want to do something like name one, name two, give them numbers or letters after that, because that seems kind of cliche, honestly, and I hate cliches, which is a discussion for another time. So what I did was I gave each one a different font, a font that actually reflected in some way the personality that I wanted each to have. So that way, you know. So if you see Chiller, you know, one character, if you see a different font, it's a different character. I don't recommend throwing a whole bunch of fonts out just for the sake of visual variety. When I use different fonts, there's always a narrative purpose for doing so. But that's something that current status in publishing is you only use one font. And if you're very nice to the publisher, the publisher will let you use italics. And again, one of my problems with that is that italics are used for 12 or 15 different reasons. They're really overused. So one of the things I do in my stories, one of the things I do in the stories I edit is if you want to use emphasis, 
don't use italics, go back to using bold. It takes the burden off of italics and it makes the point. The publishing industry has gotten, I feel very conservative about things like this. And I really, really want to sort of allow writers and allow myself as a writer to be more creative. That's one thing. I'll give you another thing, because again, this is in the same field, but it also drives me nuts. There are a lot of publishers who only want their writers to use the verb said, to say, for every speech act. And I've seen stories where that's the, pretty much the only verb. Even when somebody is asking a question, they said it, they didn't ask it. And that is an artificial constraint that really drives me nuts because there are so many words in the English language and each word has a slightly different meaning, slightly different connotations to it. So you can impart information to the reader just by the verbs that you use. And so because the publishing has gotten so strict about things like this, it's really limiting how writers can express themselves fully. And I understand why they have this, because frankly, writers went crazy nuts with the verbs and were using them in a lot of inappropriate or inelegant ways. So I understand why. But I think this pendulum swung far too far in the conservative direction. And I'd like the pendulum to swing back a little so that we can have a little more variety. The last thing I promise that I will say on this subject is I love the interrobang. I'm on a one-man mission to bring the interrobang back into use. Now, for people who are not familiar with it, the interrobang is a punctuation mark that combines a question mark and an exclamation mark into one punctuation mark. Because when you have a character saying something like, are you serious? You have to make a choice between a question mark or an exclamation mark. What's more important, the question or the fact that they're shouting it at you? Or what some writers do, but I find this really ineloquent, is that they have both. They'll have the question mark, and then they'll have the exclamation mark, which I find kind of ugly. But there is an actual punctuation thing that you can use to do both. It's great. And so I'd really love to see more of that in people's writing. What do you find that authors tend to do wrong and right consistently? I'll be honest with you. At Amazing Stories, of course, I did have slush readers because I could not read all of the stories that were submitted myself. So by the time a story got to me, it was already pretty damn good. This is more perhaps a market issue than an issue for specific writers. But what I will say is this. Again, this goes to conservatism, but particularly in the science fiction community, where for a very long time, most of the stories were written by white, straight men. And with things like Afrofuturism, there are now entire publishers devoted to gay science fiction, all of these different niches. What I'm finding is that we're getting a lot more voices, a lot of different voices in speculative fiction generally, science fiction in particular. And that's great. I so love that. Going back to surprise and delight, new voices, they have new takes on all the old tropes. I'll give you one example, because I actually approached him for a story for the first issue of Amazing Stories. There's an indigenous Canadian author, his name is Drew Hagen Taylor. He had put out a collection of short stories, which I love. And so I really, really wanted to get him in Amazing Stories. 
and I was fortunate that he had a story and it was everything I could have hoped for. What he did and what a lot of minority writers do is he took a lot of the stories that we know from science fiction, time travel and alien encounters and things like that, but he showed them through an indigenous culture. And it was new and it was fresh and it was just wonderful to read. I'm always hoping for underrepresented authors in every project I do because I enjoy reading them and I want to spread those voices as far as I can as an editor. How long do you think it'll be before AI takes over your job? One of my projects is the Alternate Reality News Service. They send reporters into other dimensions and they report on what they find there. Mm -hmm. I write Alternate Reality News Service articles for my website and then collect them eventually in print anthologies. And there are now 13 of them. So I've written a lot of them over the years. In the latest collection, which is called When the Soft Sciences Get Positively Runny, there is a special report on artificial intelligence. Literally 30 of the 80 articles in the book are on how artificial intelligence is worming its way into all sorts of different areas of our life. It blows my mind just how quickly it's infiltrating all of these different things. And in fact, I've already started collecting newspaper articles on new things that I haven't written about, new uses of AI that I haven't written about. So I'm going to continue to write about this stuff. The thing about AI is that AI has actually been taking people's jobs for a long, long time. Think, for instance, about the robots on car assembly lines, which have replaced auto workers. The thing is, the white collar workers, the middle managers and the bosses, they thought, well, it's going to get rid of blue collar jobs, but it's never going to affect the white collar worker. Now, of course, that is exactly what AI is coming for. I have no doubt that there will be AI writers. There will be stories written by AI. A lot of the best known science fiction magazines have vowed that they will not take AI written stories. They want stories from actual human beings, which I think is admirable. I don't know how long they're going to be able to pull it off. Right now, AI stories are terrible. They suck. Mm. It's easy to see them, spot them, know that they were written by an AI, and therefore it's easy to dismiss them. But AI will improve. And there will come a time when it will be next to impossible to determine whether a story was written by a human being or an AI. And whether we can rise to that, what we will do about that as editors and publishers, I don't know. Now, this is slowly working my way, you'll notice, to answering your question. Because the truth is, when you submit an AI query, get something back, and then submit a second query to improve on the first thing you got back, you're engaged in editing. So AI is already being used to edit stories. The only real question is, when is that going to become official so that an AI actually has an editorial position? And you know what? I can see entrepreneurs developing AI publications. So we're not going to have anybody involved in this publication, except maybe for the person who sets the queries, as human. It's all going to be AI written, AI edited, AI produced, right? They're the AI designed with AI created visuals. And honestly, I think a lot of readers 
will not go for that. A lot of readers will be like, no, I want to support actual writers. I want to support actual editors. So I'm going to go for the magazines and anthologies that are actually done by people. But a lot of readers who maybe aren't that dedicated, who maybe just want to dip into a magazine every now and again, as long as the magazine maintains a quality that they like, they won't care. So it's going to be a real challenge in that sense. But what I will say is that writing and editing have nowhere near made me a living. I don't make a lot of money off of that. If AI takes over some of these jobs, I'm going to keep writing. I'm going to keep editing because I haven't lost all that much <laughs> by it happening. It's very rare, actually. But there are people who can make a living off of selling short stories, just short stories. It's extremely hard. You have to really write a lot of them to make a, enough money to live off of. But, you know, the occasional person can do it. They will have a problem. Some publications actually pay their editors living wage. They can make enough money off of it. They might have problems. For the rest of us, we're doing it for the love. And so we're right. going to keep doing it because we keep loving it. So that part of it isn't going to change. Thank you very much, Ira. Thank you. From Water Dragon Publishing comes The Future So Bright. Come along with our authors as we explore the hopeful side of the future. From all the good things provided by advanced AI to the innocence of exploring new worlds, join our authors as they present uplifting stories of science fiction and fantasy. For more information, see waterdragonpublishing.com, Future So Bright. Thanks again to our guest. We plan on publishing new episodes every second Wednesday of the month. Watch for new episodes around that time. To find out more about our featured products and books mentioned by our guest, please take a look at the SPBU Marketplace at spbu-marketplace.com. Theme and ad music is provided by Melody Loops. If you want to know more about small publishing in a big universe, visit our website at spbu-podcast.com. Send us your feedback by using the Contact Us link. Tweet or X us at spbu-podcast and like us on Facebook at spbu-podcast. This podcast was recorded and edited by yours truly, L.A. Jacob. Executive producer is Stephen Radecki. Transcription services provided by Sleepy Fox Studio. This month's episode was sponsored by Paper Angel Press and its imprint, Water Dragon Publishing, and Unruly Voices. You can hear our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music, and most of your favorite podcast services. Thank you very much for listening, and talk to you soon.